Um, so last week we talked a little bit about John the Baptist. So he was Jesus' cousin, and obviously they were close, and he was just an awesome guy. Jesus said he was the best man that was ever born. So obviously just a great guy, and the story we're going to look at today happens at a really horrible time. So John the Baptist has been in prison, and Jesus has been out doing ministry, and word gets to Jesus that John the Baptist has been killed. He's been beheaded uh, in prison. And so we're going to pick this story up right there. It's Matthew 14 in verse 13. And again, we're looking for four, I think, observations, four lessons that we can learn from this day in the life of Jesus. And it starts when he gets this news. Matthew 14, 13. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed him on foot to, from many towns. And Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped back from the boat and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. And that evening the disciples came to him and they said, this is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus says, that isn't necessary, you feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they said. And Jesus said, bring them here. And then he told the people to sit down on the grass and Jesus took the five loaves and two fish and he looked up towards heaven and he blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. And they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. And about 5,000 men were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. So I don't know. How many people is that? It's a whole bunch, right? So I don't know, 10,000 people? That's a whole lot of people. Verse 22, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. And after sending them home, he went up in the hills by himself to pray. And night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, because a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. And so I think it's important to get the picture here. These guys are in a little wooden boat, right? And they're in this horrible storm in the middle of the night. If you can imagine that, the wind is blowing and the rain's coming in sideways and there's no light, complete darkness except for the lightning every once in a while. And the boat's like, it's wood. It's coming apart. And so they are probably bailing water with whatever they can grab and they're probably yelling at each other and praying and just you know wondering if they're ever gonna see their families again. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, and he said, don't be afraid, take courage, I'm here. And then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And Jesus said, yeah, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached down and grabbed him and lifted him up. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when he climbed back in the boat, the wind stopped and the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. And after they crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret and the people there recognized Jesus and the news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the whole area and soon people were bringing all their sick to be healed. And they begged him to let the sick, sick at least touch the fringe of his robe. And all who touched him were healed. So that's a big day, man, right? I mean, he healed, I don't know, hundreds of people. He fed 10,000 people. He walked on water. He talked down a storm. 
and then right back to healing again. And so today, real quick, we're going to look at four quick lessons from a day in the life of Jesus. Here's our first lesson. Jesus cares about your stuff. Jesus cares about your stuff. Um, he gets the news about his cousin, John, being beheaded, right? Clearly, this is a horrible, horrible thing. He obviously is crushed, so much so that he decides, because Jesus is a rock star at this point, right? People are following him everywhere. And so he's just so upset by this, he just gets on this boat and goes out on the lake to get away from people. But while he's out there, I've just got this picture of people like following along on the banks and they're yelling, come in, you know? And he's out there just trying to get away. And they're like, come in, heal my baby. Come in. I have leprosy. Come in. My brother's dead. Come in and save us and help us. Come in. And even though he was obviously devastated by his own grief about what happened to John, Jesus apparently spent the whole day healing him. And then, after not sleeping all night, the next morning, he is right back to work healing people. And it tells us why. It says, because he had compassion for them. He, he didn't just care about their eternal future and their souls. He cared about their sickness. And he cared about their suffering. And he cared about their struggling. He cared about their stuff. He cared what they were going through. And he cares about yours. The Bible says he's no respecter of persons, right? He didn't love those people more than he loves you. He didn't care about their stuff more than he cares about yours. So if you're sick in your body, or in your mind, or in your spirit, or in your relationships, if you're broke, or scared, or lonely, he cares about that stuff too. And he even, even the little stuff. You know, a lot of people come to me and they'll say, you know what, you don't need to pray, because I know a lot of people have it worse than me. You know, I know a lot of people, my stuff is so small compared to people in Ukraine or compared to people in Uganda. And Jesus is probably too busy to worry about my little problems. But he's not. I I think it's so cool that Jesus was concerned about the people being hungry, right? This is is God in skin, right? This is God on earth. He's got a a lot going on, right? This This is God. And here he's curing cancer and blindness and, and crippled people are walking, but he wasn't so busy doing the, you know, the important stuff. He wasn't so busy with the important stuff that he didn't care about those people getting their supper. You know, he even cared about their little stuff. And he cares about your little stuff. Your, your little stuff matters to Jesus. And other people's problems may be harder than yours or mine, and maybe theirs are bigger than ours, but you know what I remember? In the 70s, I think, there was a TV commercial. I remember because TV had just come out. It was a new, exciting time for us. And there was a commercial for Excedrin, and it said, no headache is small when it's yours. Isn't that the truth? I mean, your problems may not be as bad as the people in Ukraine right now, but that doesn't mean your problems aren't real, and that doesn't mean that your problems aren't hard, And it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't care about yours. Whether your problems are as hard as somebody else's or not doesn't really matter. Jesus cares about your headaches and about your heartaches. 
and about your toothaches and your test scores and your marriage and your kids. If, if, it's, if it's hurting you, it's hurting him. So that's the first lesson from this day in the life of Jesus. He, Jesus cares about your stuff. Another thing I think we can see in this day in the life of Jesus is Jesus is the creator, so he exists outside of creation. I'll say that again. Jesus is the creator, so he exists outside, like above creation. And that means the laws of nature don't apply to Jesus. The laws of nature don't apply to Just in this one day, he miraculously heals sick people. He walks on water. He shuts down a storm with his words. He feeds 10,000 people with a couple of fish sandwiches. All these things are what? They're physically impossible. These are all, they go against the law of nature, right? All of these things are impossible for us as, as creation, but not, not for the creator. The rules of nature don't apply to him. He's, he's, he's supernatural, right? He's supernatural. He's above nature. He's above creation. So if he tells the world to stop spinning, it will. And it doesn't matter that that's impossible. If he tells the disease to go away, it will. And it doesn't matter if it's impossible. If he decides to provide for you supernaturally when the economy is falling apart, he will. And it doesn't matter if that's impossible. If he decides to calm the storm in your job or in your marriage or in your family or in your mind, he will. Jesus isn't bound by the constraints of what is possible. Nothing's impossible for Jesus. And there's a real cool implication for us that he loves. And that is Jesus not only cares about your stuff, he can supernaturally do something about your stuff. And I want to be straight about this. There may be times when Jesus says no to your prayers. And maybe for reasons that you can't understand right now, maybe he's got a better idea. Um, maybe he's going to use your trouble to, what, strengthen your faith or draw you closer to him. Or maybe he's going to do a bigger, better miracle later. There's lots of reasons that Jesus might, may, might say no to your prayers. But one of those reasons is never that what you're asking for is too hard. Jesus, yeah, there may be times that you say, Jesus, I'm asking you for this. I'm going through the stuff. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Two or more are gathered. I'm asking in your name. I'm anointing with oil. You know, I have faith of a mustard seed. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And yet sometimes the answer is just no. And there's a lot of different reasons that the answer might be no. As parents, we can understand that, right? Sometimes our kids ask for things. They're sure it's right. They're sure it's good. They're sure it's best for them. We know better. And so sometimes the answer is no. There's lots of reasons Jesus might say no. But one of those reasons is never, ever, that it's too hard for him. Because nothing is too hard for him. And nothing's impossible for him. Because impossible doesn't apply to him. He's the creator. He exists outside of creation. He exists above creation. Third lesson. This is interesting to me. Jesus includes humble servants in his plans for their benefit. Jesus includes humble servants in his plan for their benefit. There's, there's something Jesus loves about the idea 
us serving each other, isn't there? We're, we're followers of Jesus, right? We're imitators. How many of you are a follower of Jesus? You're an imitator of Jesus? Okay, you shouldn't raise them because let me tell you what the deal is here. I should have said this first. But it's too late now. There's nothing we can do. Um, we're his followers, right? That means we're supposed to be following him. I think that's what it means. We're supposed to be imitating Jesus. And in Mark 10, 45, Jesus said that he didn't come to be served. He came to serve others. And he didn't just talk it. He showed it. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me that here is Jesus about to do the thing, right? He's about to change eternity for all of us. He's about to, to divide time before and after. He's about to change everything on the cross. And like the last thing he did before he did the thing was washing feet. That is fascinating to me. What does that mean? Like, what was he thinking? Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why, why would God on earth, <laughs> a couple of hours from this thing happening, right? He knows what's coming. Why did he just stop and put on an apron and condescend, literally, kneel down, kneel down in front of these people's disgusting, dirty feet and wash them. Why would he do that? And there's, just, there's only one reason he would do that. And that was to model for us what we're supposed to do. That we're supposed to condescend. That we're supposed to lower ourselves. And that we're supposed to serve. Serving people is part of following Jesus. Serving people is part of, not, not just teaching people, not just, you know, bossing people or criticizing people. Those are important parts, too. But serving people is part of following Jesus. So I've got a question for you. This is clear right throughout the Bible that Jesus loves us serving. Why, why is that? Does, like, does he need our help? Does he need our help? <laughs> or is it for us? And we, we talk about this a lot around here. Jesus can do anything, right? He can, and he, he, to, to think that Jesus needs us to do something is kind of funny, really. Like, in the, when the Israelites were going across the desert, Jesus provided bread and meat for them there, right? And no people did anything, right? So clearly, he doesn't need help in feeding people, but I love how he includes the disciples in this miracle of feeding 5,000 people. He, he calls them to this blessing of serving. And so it's like, what? It's getting late in the afternoon. They've been out there all day, and they're out in the boonies, and, and the disciples are like, oh, Jesus, we've got to send everybody home because, you know, the restaurants are going to close or whatever. But look what Jesus says. This is Matthew 14, 16. He says, that isn't necessary. You feed them. And I would have thought he would say, that isn't necessary. I'll feed them. But he includes them in this miracle. And they're, well, we only got five loaves of bread. We only got two little fish. You know, we can't just run over to H-E-B here. We got 10,000 people. What are, you know, what, are, what are we gonna do? And so look what Jesus does. This is Matthew 14, 18. We just read this. He says, bring the stuff here. Bring me the fish and the bread. Verse 19. And he told the people to sit down in the grass. He took the five loaves and two fishes. He looked up at heaven and blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into fishes, he gave the bread not to the people. Right? He gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people, 
Everybody ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. He included them, and it wasn't because he needed their help, right? Let me ask you this question. Could Jesus have just announced, like at a magic show, right? Okay, everybody, look in your backpack right now, and you're going to find a piece of fish and a chunk of bread and a chocolate chip cookie. Could Could Jesus have done that? Could Jesus have done that? Nothing is impossible, right? Jesus could have done that. Um, could he have just rained down prepackaged fish sandwich happy meals from heaven in little boxes with parachutes, right? For it? Could he have done that? Would that have been cool? He could have done that. But I, I, for some reason, he chose to include the disciples. And, and he, he gave it to them. You guys go pass it out so that they could see this thing happening, right? So they could experience this miracle as they picked up the leftovers. He included them in the miracle, and that, that serving for them was just a blessing. And one of the main blessings of being a servant is kind of a mantra around here at CBCB. We say it all the time. Servants see the miracles. Let me hear you say, servants see the miracles. It is just the truest. This is one place of lots of places that we see this in the Bible. There's thousands of people here, right? We don't know. Let's, let's say it's only 5,000 people, right? 5,000 people are sitting there, and they've heard about Jesus. They came to see, you know, a miracle or something, and that's cool for them, I'm, but I'm not even sure they saw the miracle. You know, they were, they were just sitting down. They were told to sit down. They sat down in groups of 50, and here comes a disciple, you know, passing out food, passing out food, passing out food. And these thousands of people may not have even realized that a miracle had happened, right? I mean, for all they know, this was just part of the event, right? For all they know, it was dinner and a show, right? They didn't know that maybe for all they knew, somebody brought in all this food and had been preparing it all day. And I bet thousands of those people never even realized it was a miracle, they just thought it was, it was a great event, but not the disciples. The disciples knew that this was an impossible, supernatural miracle. A legitimate, unexplainable, impossible miracle. And the disciples were uniquely positioned to see it because they were serving. There's just one. There's, there's lots of stories like this in the Bible. The wedding at Cana, that's the first miracle that Jesus ever did, right? John chapter two, first miracle Jesus, do you guys know that story? So they're at this wedding, and it's a big deal. You know, those weddings lasted for days, and it was like a big, big deal, parties for days. And it's like really awkward, they ran out of wine early. And so, I don't know if Jesus' mom was like the party planner, or she was, you know how every wedding has like that bossy aunt that's running everything, and maybe she was that person in this thing, I don't know what was going on, but she comes to Jesus, and she's like, oh Jesus, we're out of wine. Wow, we're out of wine. So, wow, that was a miracle. You guys see me okay? You remember what I look like? Okay, just, just, just remember what I look like. So Jesus, she, mom comes to him and she goes, hey, you know, we're out of wine, and so, you know, do something. And Jesus is like, mom, you know, it's not, it's not my time. I'm not supposed to be doing stuff like that just yet. And you know, mother, you know, she's gonna get her way, right? Wow, it's on. <laughs> let there be light okay so mom comes to Jesus we got this big problem we're out of wine 
And Jesus says, yeah, that's not really my thing. And she goes, no, I, please, you, know, you need to do something about this. And so it's his mother. So Jesus says, okay, I'm, I'm gonna do something about this. And so he gets the servants together, right? All the people that were pouring and picking up butter and doing all the stuff the servants do. You guys come to me, grab those big jugs. They got these 40, 50 gallon jugs sitting around. Bring all those things, fill them up with water, bring them to me. So the servants, they fill them all up. They drag these jugs over to Jesus. Jesus prays, whatever. And all of a sudden the water turns into wine. And so now they schlep them out there, right? And they're scooping it out, pouring in everybody's cups and all that good stuff. And here, here it is, it's uh, John 2, 9. The master of ceremonies, like he's the guy making the toast or something, right? When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. And he said, a host always serves the best wine first. And then when everybody's drunk, he brings out the cheap stuff. But you have kept the best until now. So it's a cool miracle. Uh, the master of ceremonies liked the wine, but he didn't know where it came from, right? And the guests all experienced this great party and this amazing wine, but probably none of them even realized that a miracle had happened. Though, of course, the servants knew. Why? They were uniquely positioned to see a miracle because they were serving. Want to see another one? The resurrection, the best miracle of all. Who were the first people to witness the miracle of the resurrection? Was it a great philosopher? I would have had my money on Peter, right? Was it a great preacher, famous disciple, author? Hmm, no, it was just some women, regular people. And what were they doing? Were they like preaching to stadiums full of people? Were they like singing songs in front of millions of people or writing a great book or something? No, they were just walking, carrying buckets of water and soap, sponges, and they were on the way to the grave where they were gonna wash the blood and the sweat and the tears and the spit and the gunk off of a dead body. No, no glory, no glamour, no pay. They were just serving. And from that position of serving, they were uniquely stationed. They were uniquely positioned to witness the greatest miracle in history. Servants see the miracles. And when we serve the body of Christ, we don't only serve others, we're blessed. It's for us, it's for us. He doesn't need us, it's for us. We, we get to partner with Jesus. We get to do amazing things and we are, we are uniquely positioned to witness miracles. I mean, think about like, think about our worship team. So every, every week they're up here and they're practicing and they're doing their stuff and they're working hard to serve us, right? And then some people might think, well, you know, what they get out of that, what they get out of that is that they get to be up here and we all get to see them. But I'm gonna tell you, they don't, that's not what they get out of that. You know what they get out of it? You know what they get out of serving us by leading worship? They get to see you. They get to watch you experiencing Jesus. They get to witness a miracle. Why? 
they're uniquely positioned, man. They got a front row seat to watching this amazing thing happen, that you're worshiping God. Think of our kids scene, right? All the people in kids, man. Andrea and her whole team back there, they're working, they're, ooh, almost said something bad there. They're working really hard back there, and they're, they're serving our kids, and they're, they're preparing and working and teaching and loving and cleaning snotty noses, right? They're changing diapers, and, 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 but from that position of serving, they are uniquely positioned to see miracles as these kids come to experience Jesus. In a couple of weeks, we got um, some kids that are gonna be baptized, and they want Pastor Andrea to baptize them which really hurts my feelings. <laughs> but that's okay. I'll get along somehow. But Andrea is gonna, she, do you see what she gets? She's gonna, you talk about a front row seat, right? She is going to be there in it when these kids' lives are forever transformed. Well, how come she gets to do it? She's a servant. She has uniquely positioned herself to see miracles. Jesus could have just as easily, probably much more easily, fed those people by himself, right? Jesus could have much more easily redeemed the world without us. But for some reason, he chooses to give us the, like, the dignity, the honor, the blessing of being part of this plan. And it's not because he needs us. It's so that we can see Miracle, so that we can experience this amazing thing of partnering with Jesus in his plan. And he, he loves serving, and he wants us to experience that blessing. So he includes humble servants like us in his plans for our benefit. And man, if, you don't, if you're not serving somewhere, I always tell people there's, like, there's two angles to this. Paul said we should all aspire to the higher gifts right? We should aspire to the higher gifts. You know what that doesn't mean? That doesn't mean it goes like pastor, worship leader, kids team. That's not what it means at all. It means you should aspire to the thing that God's built you to do, right? That's the highest use of you. That's the highest best use of you, is you doing the thing that God has gifted you to do and given you passion for and given you experience in. That's the highest. You should aspire to that. You should be looking for the highest best use. I tell people this story all the time. Let me give you guys a quick example of that, what it looks like. Joy. Joy. I'm almost positive that joy was put on earth to lead worship in this church. Almost positive that every experience in her life was getting her ready for this, her highest calling. This is what she was born to do. It's what she was built to do. It's what God created her to do. That's awesome. And meanwhile, while we're all searching for that thing and looking for that highest, best use of us, there's a lot of trash in the parking lot that needs to be picked up. Right? We, I always tell people, we've got babies back there that need to be burped. Right? We've got doors that need to be opened. We've got communion that needs to be passed out. And that is not just searching for your highest, best use of you. What is that? That's serving. That's following Jesus and understanding that part of following Jesus is serving. And when we do, it's not because he needs us. He's, he's, he's including us in his plans for our benefit. If you want to serve and you don't know where to serve or how to serve, I would suggest that you go to the Connection Center today and say, I want to help. I don't know where. We'll find something for you. It'll probably be dirty diapers. <laughs> Not really. I just said that to scare you. Okay. Number four. Sometimes we see Jesus most clearly in the storm. 
Um, so the disciples spent this day with Jesus, right? And they're, they're on the beach of the Sea of Galilee. And that's where it's all going down. And it's a whole day of, I don't even know what, miraculous healings and crippled people are walking and blind people are seeing. And Jesus is probably like mixing in some amazing teaching. He feeds thousands of people with this sack lunch. And like, okay, so that's a day, right? And now it's, it's kind of over and it's getting dark. And if you get the scene, right? There's, there's the water and here we're on the beach and now the sun's going down. Here's a pile of crutches over here that have been abandoned, right? Here's a big pile of bandages that we don't need anymore. Here's a whole bunch of hearing aids and glasses stacked up from all these healings that we don't need anymore. And Jesus just tells the disciples, well, look, I'll send everybody home. I'll dismiss, right? And now you guys, I'll meet you on the other side of the lake. So get in the boat and go across the water and I'll meet you. And then Jesus now is gonna get time for himself to pray, which is what he wanted in the first place, right? So as you guys go across in the boat and then I'll, I'll meet you over there. And you guys know the story. So they get, on the, they get on the, out on the water and like this big storm comes. And I, I, I think it's important for us to think of the boat they were in, right? This isn't the kind of boat you've been on, right? This is a creaky old wooden boat. Right, and so they're out on this boat, the storm comes, and man, stuff is falling off of this boat, right? And they're thinking the boat's gonna fall apart. They're, think, they're thinking they're going to die. And Jesus comes walking on the water. And Peter says, hey, call me and I'll come out there. Call me. Because he wanted to make sure it was really Jesus, right? Call me and I'll come out there. And so Jesus says, come on. So he gets over the water. He walks out there. Peter's walking on the water now, right? People like criticize Peter because he, you know, he took his eyes off of Jesus or whatever. How many of you have walked on water so far? Right, it's pretty good, right? So he walks out there, but then, you know, he succumbs, right? He, he takes his eyes off of Jesus. He sees the wind, he sees the waves, and he starts going down. And so now he's drowning or whatever, help me. So Jesus reaches down, he pulls him up. I don't know, he's carrying him, he throws him over like this or something. And now he walks the rest of the way over to the boat. He throws Peter in the boat, and he gets up in the boat, and the wind stops, and they, the disciples have this amazing moment of like clarity and revelation this is, Mark, this is Mark 14, 32, or Matthew Mark 14, 32. They climbed back in the boat, and the wind stopped, and then the disciples worshiped him, and they said, dang, that's in the original Greek. <laughs> dang, you really are the son of God. And every time I read that, this question comes up in my mind, who did they think he was on the beach? Right? I mean, he's supernaturally healing hundreds of people. He fed 10,000 people with a sack lunch. And they saw this amazing stuff on the beach. They saw, they were there. They saw this amazing stuff on the beach, but in the storm, when everything was horrible and dark and scary, that's when they really saw who Jesus was. And I think sometimes that's the way it is for us too. You know, sometimes, man, our lives are going great. Health is great, marriage is great, kids are great, the job is great, my stocks are up, my teams are winning. And it's like, we don't, I'm not saying we take it for granted, it's just, because we know, right, every good thing is a gift from God, we know that. We're thankful for his blessings, and, 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 and we experience God in those blessings, and they show us part of who he is. But when the storm comes, and when it's really dark, and scary and when our lives are coming apart and when we're wondering if we're going to make it sometimes that's when we see jesus the most clearly 
I think sometimes that's when we really experience his power to save and his power to heal and his power to restore. And I won't ever pray for a storm or a crisis in my life. I did that once. That turned out to be a mistake. But it's a strange thing to say. One of the blessings of a crisis, one of the blessings of a real life-shaking storm, and maybe you've experienced this. I've heard so many people say this. I've heard so many people say, I never experienced the saving power and grace and presence of Jesus like I did in the worst storm of my life. Sometimes we see Jesus most clearly in a storm. So if you're in some kind of storm right now with your family or with your marriage or your job or your health, if, if you're like they were that night and your world is dark and, and, and your boat's coming apart and, and you're wondering if you're going to survive, then we're going to pray for you and we're going to pray for help, right? For deliverance, for escape, and for restoration and salvation. And we're going to pray for this storm to end. But we're also going to pray that you're going to experience the presence of Jesus in a more amazing, beautiful, profound way in this storm than you ever could on the beach. That, that you'll more clearly see his power to lift you up and to save you and to calm your storm. And when you do, you'll experience Jesus in a, in a new way, in an amazing way. And you'll really know, you'll really clearly see his love and his power and his presence. And we're going to pray that you'll see him in a more clear way than you ever have before. So, yeah, if you've got, you don't got to raise your hand or anything like that, but I mean, you know your stuff, right? And God knows your stuff. And maybe you've got health issues or maybe you've got family issues or relational issues or financial issues or worry issues or stress issues or abuse or anger or addiction issues. Just think of what that issue is and let's pray. The Bible says sometimes we have not because we ask not. We can go to our Father and ask him to fix this, to take this storm out of our life. And let's do that. Let's do that. And at the same time, let's pray that we will experience Jesus in this storm. Can we pray together? Jesus, I know that there is right here a room full of headaches and heartaches and problems and pain and struggle. And I know that there are people here with real health problems and real relational problems and family problems. I know that there are people here that are worried about their kids and their grandkids. I know there are young people here that are worried about their future. And there are people that are lonely and scared and lost. And God, all of us have been in those places. And so what else would we do but cry out to you and just ask for your help? David said, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Who else would we turn to but you? And so we know, we can see by this story that you care about our stuff. You cared if those people were even hungry for their supper. You care about our stuff no matter what it is. And we can see from this story that you're above creation, that nothing is impossible for you. 
And so we're just going to just ask you for supernatural intervention and healing and peace and wisdom and grace and mercy. God, we just pray that you will, you will pray your miracle working love over every one of these situations today. And we're not scared to ask for you to just bring about miracles. And you did it then. You don't love those people more than you love us. You're not less strong now than you were then. So just pray that you will do, a mer maybe it's provision. I mean, you provided 5,000 people with lunch that day. You can provide anything. So whatever it is, God, we're just gonna ask you now to heal us, to restore us, to fix us, to help us, to strengthen us, to comfort us. And at the same time, God, while we're in this hard place, we don't wanna miss this opportunity to see Jesus. So Jesus, I just pray that you will just be so close to us in this hard time that we will say what so many people have said, that's in the storm, and that's when I said, wow, you really are the son of God, and I see you in such a clear way. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for healing our bodies and curing our relationships and fighting our battles, and thank you for being with us in these dark places. In your name, amen. Um, can I say something to you guys real quick? I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. Thanks for coming to church. I love you guys. Man, I, I love this community. I love worshiping with you, and I love following Jesus with you. So thank you for being part of this church. Um, and now we'll take up an offering. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> now, a couple of quick announcements. Um, number one, we have a meeting for our safety team starting at 1 o'clock today. So you had to leave and come back. But if you're on the safety team or if you're interested, like safety and security of the church, we'd love to have you just join us for this meeting. We're just going to talk about some strategy and stuff. Number two, Operation Christmas Child. I bet you all know what that is, but this is a really cool ministry. We partner with Samaritan's Purse. And if you can picture your kids and grandkids and all the junk you get them at Christmas that they don't need, right? There are kids that, that don't get anything for Christmas that have never heard the name Jesus. So our kids are saying, happy birthday, Jesus. Thanks for the bicycle, right? And there are kids all over the world that aren't getting a bicycle and they aren't gonna hear about Jesus. And so this ministry is intended to try to work on both of those problems at the same time. Here's how it works. You go back to the table in the lobby, you grab a box, it's full of instructions on what to do. And you fill that little, it's like a shoebox size box. You fill that thing up with goodies. You bring it back next week or the next week. Next week or the next week. Next week or the next week. Please don't call me that next Tuesday. Oh, I got seven boxes. Bring it back full of stuff. And then we will get with our partners at Samaritans and they will make sure that those gifts are delivered to kids who don't get Christmas. Some of these kids have never owned anything new in their life. You can fix that. And it'll be delivered to them in the name of Jesus. So you can fix that. So I'd love it if you would help us with that. Walk out to the lobby, turn left and grab a box. And then last thing, um, Tuesday is election day. Um, how many of you would just say right now, as a Christian, I am completely satisfied with the direction of our culture and our government? It's awesome. Don't change a thing. Wow. Okay, well, um, if that's you, then you don't need to vote because everything's going to just keep going the way it's going right now, right? It's going to be status quo. So whatever you think the trajectory of our culture and our government and our society is going, if you, if that's the direction it's going to continue until people do something about it. And the best thing you can do about it as a Christian, if you want Christian values to come out in our government and in our culture, there is a weapon in your hands. There is a tool at your disposal, and it's not mocking people on Facebook. <laughs>
right? And it's not making ugly jokes about the other side. It's the vote. It's the vote. So I would just really, really encourage you. Again, if you're happy and satisfied with the way it's going right now, then I would say Tuesday, sleep in, get a bagel, call it good. If you'd like to see some changes, then I would say this is, this is not only a blessing that we get to do this, it's a responsibility that we have as Jesus followers to let his voice be heard in our government and in our communities. Amen? Okay, vote. See you later. Have a great week.